0: Romans chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 8 and we're going to read through the rest of the chapter, but before we do, I want to ask a question. Um, if I, here we are talking about football and baseball and sports and what have you, but if I were to come in here and I were to put on a football uniform, um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm sorry that I just did that to your to your mind, but you know... Uh, but here's the thing. If I, if I came in here with a football uniform on, you would say that I am suited up and dressed up to do what? Okay, the smart Alex aside. You know, let's just, what would I? Be? Play a game. Play, a game. play, play what? Play football. play football, right. If I came in here in, you know, a, uh, a, a bulletproof vest, what would you say that I'm suited up for? to rob a place. Well, <laughs> Yeah. No, I hope not to rob a place, but, you know, hopefully not to get shot, right? I mean, I mean, if I come in here with a, with a bulletproof vest, if, like, I show up next week with a bulletproof vest, are you going to feel safe? No, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, Pastor Don, how come you got a bulletproof vest on? Uh, no reason. You know? What kind of threats came into the church this week? I don't know. You know, I don't know, yeah? But, but you, you would say, hey, you're dressed up for, you don't want to get shot. And you know, we get shot. Any kind of an outfit you put on, you you, you think if I put on a a, a doctor smock, you know, not spock, smock. You know, and, and go in, you think, oh you're you're going in is that the right word? Yeah. I'm thinking, scrubs, you know, yeah. some of those words can be bad words. Scrubs, smock. okay. What's a smock? Smock is a an artist, <laughs> <uses> <laughs> a, smock huh? an artist a smock, Huh? An artist uses a smock. Lunchwear <laughs> ladies wear. All right. Well, if I came in here dressed in a smock, you'd think I'd be handing out dinners or lunches at at the local school. Regardless, whatever outfit I put on, if I come in here, I've suited up. Goodness, I'm losing you guys. Listen, if I suit up in something, you're going to look at my clothes and you're going to determine what you're ready for, right? What you're prepared for. Um, uh, You know, you don't... Put on a suit. I, my son is not here today, and my wife has is, is taken him, and, and we've, we've allowed Nathan to be a part of a, a paintball team, and and there's a, a big event coming up uh, in the beginning of October, and it's something that is a dream of his to play in, like the Super Bowl of paintballs and uh, of paintball matches, and he's on a team called Revolution, and, and it's all the way up in Lakeland, and so um, they practice uh, sometimes on Sunday, sometimes on Saturday, and he's up there right now, and he's practicing, um, with the team, hopefully getting prepared for. He's hoping to have a spot on the team that's going to go to World Cup. And so, when he left the house today, because we left about the same time, he didn't have a three-piece suit on, because you don't wear a three-piece suit on to go play paintball, right? You 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 wear a paintball outfit, right? You, because that's the outfit that you're going to wear. Um, if you whatever you wear, you 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 know. If, you, if you're in really, really, really shabby clothes, you're not probably going to go and and officiate, you know, a wedding, or you're not probably going to a wedding, and, and so you you can determine by what someone has on, of what they're doing and where they're going and what they're preparing themselves for. You know, what does that have to do with anything today? Well, I'm going to read these uh, for these few verses, beginning in Romans chapter eight, verse or uh, Romans chapter thirteen, verse eight. Excuse me. And uh, maybe we can begin to to look and see this. We talked about verse 8 last week. Paul writing, he says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, And if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in licentiousness and lewdness, not in strife and envy, but put on, you see the word? But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust the word put on there i'm going to kind of we're going to kind of go a, a little backwards here because we're going to begin there in verse 14 the word put on it's it's a it's it's a greek word it's one greek word uh, and the word is enduo enduo and you, oh, and, you, oh, and, you and, and that doesn't really mean a whole lot to you i mean it doesn't really mean a lot to me sometimes greek words will clue us in or show us the root of where we get maybe an English word and we will see that here in just a second but enduo, the Greek word literally means this to put on as in a garment to put on as, on, as in a garment or to cause to get into an, to a garment now metaphorically speaking this putting on we see there in verse 14 but put on the Lord Jesus Christ now, that's a metaphor. Because you can't unzip Jesus, right? And and put him on as a coat. You can't do that. You know, he you can't strap his body to your body, right? You put on Jesus Christ. Now, I think that we all understand this is a metaphor. This is a this is a metaphor saying, "Listen, put on the Lord Jesus Christ." Metaphorically speaking, it, it it's this. It's it's it's, as, it's used like as the soul is clothed with the body. It's used as, as a person is endued or finished with a power or a quality of someone or something. It's, it's referring to in cases in scripture of incorruptibility or immorality. Or immortality, not immorality. <laughs> okay, we don't want to be clothed with immorality, all right? I did it. I did it. I've, I've not done that in the many years I've been preaching, but now I just did it. Um, there was a pastor out in California that, that was an that was a, 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 a awesome pastor, but he'd always mix, mix up words like this. And, uh, and he was talking, and he's a, he's a Mexican guy, and he's an awesome pastor, but he's saying, brothers and sisters, we must take off the, the mortal, and we must put on immorality. Don't think that works, man. Let's not do it that way. Pastor Chuck, back when he was still alive, he heard that on the radio and he says, man, I almost ran off the road, dying laughing. I couldn't believe that they didn't at least edit that out, you know, of the radio broadcast that was going all over Southern California at the time. But um, you just have fun fun with things like that. But it, it talks about putting on immortality, putting on incorruption, Corruption is decay, right? Mortality is life. Immortality is no death or no ending of life. A life that goes on and on and on. It also refers to uh, as one uh, of one who puts on or assumes a new character or a new man. In fact, we'll back up into Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to look at that here. Not back up, but go forward. I'm sorry. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, over just about maybe eighth of an inch of, of pages to your right. Ephesians chapter 4. For context, I'm going to read Paul's words here. He's saying, uh, and up to this point, I want you to understand, just, just understand the book of Ephesians. In, in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul identifies to you and to I who we are in Christ. Who we used to be, remember we talked about that last week in Ephesians chapter 2, that we once were dead in our trespasses and sins. We once used to walk according to the course or the weather vein of this world. Remember we talked about that last week? We used to be controlled and and owned by, and a slave of, Satan himself. But that's chapter 2. But chapter 1, Paul sits there and he says... Do you know who you are as a Christian? You are those of you who are in Christ, those of you who are through Christ, those of you who are sealed by the Holy Spirit, in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, all of the benefits that we have as a believer in who Jesus Christ is and what He did for us, there's the benefit of that God has come into your heart and has sealed you with this Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 2, he says, now listen, listen, this is who you used to be. Don't continue to do things that you used to do in the world because you are brand new. You've been bought with a price. There's something brand new in you when you came to Christ. When you're in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, in him, when you are in though, in, in that, that understanding, you're no longer who you used to be. Okay, and, and, and you now understand as Ephesians chapter 2 it, it says there that, that in, in chapter 2 verse 10 you are now his workmanship Kevin explained this two weeks ago um, in his messages he was teaching through First Thessalonians chapter 4 you and I are his workmanship the word workmanship poem poema is the word in Greek it's where we get our, word, our English word poem from You and I are God's workmanship. We are his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And and so here's the thing. You and I used to be something. We've been created to be something different. God has given us the opportunity and afforded us the opportunity to have a different life than what we are destined for. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all heading for hell until Christ steps in the scene. And he steps in the gap, and he stands in the gap for you and I. And he dies on a cross, and he rises again from the dead three days later, and therein purchases the right to your soul. But he doesn't force you to be sold to him. He places that opportunity and that gift in your own hand. Do you want to be purchased? He's saying, I've purchased you, but only if you want to be purchased by me. Understand, before I went to the cross, before I rose again from the dead, you were destined to go to hell. But I overcame hell. I overcame the death that you were going to have to endure. I did that to secure the opportunity for you to go to heaven. But that's your choice. If you want to go to heaven, then, then I'm placing the ball in your court. I've purchased you. If you want to be purchased, if you want to be a follower, if you want to go to heaven, then come to me. If you don't, then you don't just walk away. You, you just, just disregard a message like this. And so Paul, he says, we are in Christ. We used to be, you know, something, you know, controlled by Satan. We used to be owned by the, by the slave owner, Satan. And you might go, well, I haven't given myself to be purchased by anybody. Satan's not the gentleman that Jesus is. Satan owns you. He owns you. He owns the world. He owns mankind. You remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. He went into the wilderness, he he fasted for 40 days, and then as he was coming out of the wilderness, he was tempted by Satan three times. You remember one of those things? Satan said, listen, Jesus, I'm taking you up on a high pinnacle and I'm going to show you all the kingdoms of the earth. Satan speaking to Jesus. He says, do you see all these kingdoms? I will give them all to you if you will simply bow and worship me right now. If they were not under the control of Satan, do you think that Jesus would not have corrected Satan in his error? Hey, Satan, Lucifer, Louis, they're not yours. They're my father's. No, you see, in the Garden of Eden, man lost the title deed to the earth and sold it over to Satan himself. Satan had the title deed. He got it there in the Garden of Eden. And from that point on, mankind was owned by Satan until a purchase could be made by God Through an innocent sacrifice. Through Jesus. Perfect and spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing. When he was standing on that pinnacle and Satan says, Do you see all these kingdoms? I would give them to you. I will give them all to you if you will just simply bow down and worship me right now. And Jesus answered him and he said, No. The Word of God says, you worship God, and you worship no other idols. You bow down to no other idols. You only worship God. No, I'm not going to bow down to you. He didn't correct Satan and say, no, it's not yours to give. It's actually my father's. He didn't say that. Confirming what Satan was saying. It's all mine. And so you might be sitting here and going, well, you know, I'm not a Christian, and I'm not a Satanist. You know, I, I don't, you know... I'm not a Satanist. I don't bow down to satan i just don't I just don't believe in any of that stuff well you're duped because you are on one team one or the other there's there's no middle ground, there's no third team there's no you know third place to go there's no you know place of well, you know those who served Satan. They're going to hell. Those who serve God, they're going to heaven. But then there was this large chunk of society that just didn't want to jump into this whole religious aspect. And so they're going to go to this other place. They're going to cease to exist, or they're going to go to this other place that just didn't believe that there was a heaven. There isn't that place. There's heaven or there's hell. That's the the only two places. And if you don't accept the gift that God gave to you through Christ you still are owned under the title deed of the earth to Satan. You still are owned by, the, by, by Satan. And he is, is really your Lord. No, I don't bow to anybody. You do. If you don't bow to Christ, you're bowing to Satan. It's just truth. It's a hard truth, but it's a truth nonetheless. But it's also a glorious truth because here's the thing. Christ... Made a way for you to escape. Made a way for me to escape. So the glorious truth is, I don't have to go to hell. He made a way for me not to go to hell. He made a way for me to go to heaven. in fact, when I come to him, I recognize that I'm his poem. I am a new man. I'm a new person. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, not chapter 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 11 or 16, it's one of those. He says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. And so here's the thing. When you and I come to Christ, we leave our old life and we become brand new. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So you have brand new life in front of you when you come to Christ. I come to Christ, I'm brand new in Christ. And so Paul, he's explaining this in Ephesians chapter 1. This is who you are in Christ, through Christ, in Christ, by Christ, for Christ. And then in chapter 2, he says, this is who you used to be. You used to be in the world. You used to be owned by Satan, but God, who is rich in mercy, he purchased you by his blood. And now, by grace, you've been saved through faith. And that's not even of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of your works, lest anyone would boast. We're not going to be in heaven boasting because I'm there because of my works. No, my works mean absolutely nothing. It's the work of Jesus Christ on a cross for me. For you're God's poem created in Christ Jesus for good works. Here's the thing you and I, as a Christian, we've been bought by Christ. Chapter 3, he goes on and he explains this even further. And as he's doing this, he talks about, you know, the mystery of the church and he's talking about the church. But then he gets into chapter 4 and he culminates chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 and he culminates it in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, knowing all of these things, understanding the foundation that I've just left and, and, and led you to understand and, and brought you to understand who we are, who we used to be, He says, I therefore, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you. That word beseech is a word that is is a strong word for exhortation. Or it's a strong word meaning, I beg you. I plead with you. You think I'm passionate? I'm nothing compared to Paul. You think I talk long? (laughs) Paul talked a lot longer. Here's the thing. He says, I beg you, I'm a, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I beg you, I plead with you, I exhort you, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you have a walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. You have a walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. And you might be sitting here as a Christian going, well, I don't know what that walk is. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. Well, that's what we're going to look at here for the next few moments. He goes on in chapter 4 and he's talking about who we're talking about. We're talking about Christ and, and the oneness in, that we have in Christ, the unity that we have in Christ. And, and, and who Christ is and he's the one that's the bestower of gifts and of titles and of positions and of ministries and what have you. It says, you know, uh, in verse 11, he himself, Jesus Christ, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors slash teachers. He's given them to be in this, this gift. There's, there's gifts and callings. He says he's given some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Now, there's, there's something here that sometimes is overlooked by a congregation, and I don't want to overlook this today, and I want you to totally and us to totally understand this today. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers... To equip the saints. So, what I'm doing here right now. So, what I'm doing here right now. This last week, I was talking with, let me work this out in my brain, not to break any confidences. My wife was speaking to somebody this last week that had, been, had grown up in church. And the person that she was talking to asked the question, so was Jesus older than David? And she was thinking, okay, wait a minute, this is kind of a trap question. You're, you're kind of, you're leading me down, and sometimes when people quiz me and ask me questions, you know, I give them, you know, to them as best I can, and I give them to my knowledge, but oftentimes what ends up happening is that somebody's taking me down a road. It probably happened about six months ago. Somebody came in here and was saying, what do you think about, you know, this, and what do you think about that? And I'm going, well, this, and at first I'm answering the questions, you know, open and and. and You know, just totally answering his questions. But then I started to see that this guy kept asking questions that I could see. He's trying to frame me and put me in a box. And I asked him just point blank, I said, Hey, instead of trying to put me in a box, why don't you just ask the question that you really want to ask me? What's the question? And it was about, you know, pastors being paid. You know, I'm just going, Really? Are you in here to just do that? I mean, the guy came once, he kind of. Was down on pastors being paid and what have you, you know? And I'm like, well, it's not about whether a pastor is paid or not. I, I don't know what, what, what you're trying to gather in this. Is this what you do? You go to church to church to church and talk about pastors being paid? I mean, Paul talks about, hey, uh, uh, you know, a minister is worthy of his effort. You know, uh, uh, an ox is worthy. You, you, you can't look at an ox and go, hey, he should just work and never feed him and never feed him. Otherwise, the ox is going to fall over dead. He's not going to be able to live. And Paul used that illustration to say, hey, minister to those that are ministering to you. Minister to them. And you know, there was a few weeks ago, somebody, I don't even know who you are. You might be in this room. You might be somewhere else. Somebody ministered to us big time. It was huge. It was awesome. And I'm, you know, everything came in anonymous, you know. But, you know, somebody gave us like $500, it was anonymous. And I'm like, what? My wife and I, we cried. We're like, what? Where did this come from? Lord, I don't know who it was. You might be in this room. My wife said, have you, have you thanked the congregation? I'm going, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to make people go, well, maybe I should do that. No, I don't want that. That's not what I want. They don't want to be known. I, I shared with my wife, I, I, maybe they just do don't want to be known. I don't know how to handle this situation. I don't take things well. And, and so here's the thing. I'm very appreciative how the Lord has provided for us. God has provided for us. As I shared with a guy, I don't, I don't get paid here at the church. He goes, oh, well, then you're a good pastor. I said, no, wrong. I'm not a good pastor because I don't get paid at the church. I, I, I pray that I'm a good pastor because I stick to what the word of God says. It's not about whether I get paid or whether I don't, whether I pass a plate for an offering or whether we keep one in the back. You're hung up on money. It's not about money. It's about souls. The guy never came back, but here's the thing. As this guy was asking my wife these questions, is Jesus older than David? And she's kind of going, well, depends on what you mean by is Jesus older than David. Jesus is the son of God, and so that makes him God. He was there, all the earth, and everything was created through him, for him, and by him. And so you know, Jesus is the Son of God. The Son of God was here and he's the one that all things were created by and so yes, he's older than David. But if you're saying Jesus the person, then the person of Jesus, the actual human life of Jesus, the earthly life of Jesus, the life that began, you know, through the, in the womb of Mary and was birthed and was hung on a cross, that physical life is actually younger than David. He's going, wow. I, I didn't. So... Is Abraham in the old or the New Testament? Asked my wife, and and my wife's like, Wow, where's this going? Where's this going? And it only took just a few more questions to to realize this person wasn't kidding. He wasn't trying to put my wife in a corner. This person just didn't know. He didn't know. Is Abraham is he a character of the Old Testament or the New Testament? And it's like it's dawning on her, and she's going, Wait a minute, you grew up in church. You grew up in church, and you don't, not that she wants to slam the guy down. It grieved her heart as it grieves my heart. There are so many churches today that don't teach the congregation. I would hope to say and hope to think that if I were to come here and any of you were asked that question, hey, is Abraham in the Old or the New Testament? Hopefully, most of you are going to get the answer. I know that some of you might not, but you're not not there yet, maybe. You haven't grown, maybe you're young in the Lord. But those who have been walking with the Lord any amount of time or those that have been in this congregation for any amount of time, hopefully you'd be able to answer that question, boom, not a second thought in your head. In fact, you go, well, technically, yes, Abraham is an Old Testament character, but he's also mentioned quite a few times in the New. See, you know, that's what a pastor, that's what Paul says. God gave Jesus gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop with the with the uh, with just to equip the saints. Paul is saying, and if I were to phrase this question, what it is that it's intending to say? God gave these to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry so that they, who's they? The body of believers. So that they edify for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, the perfect or the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and their cunningness, cunning cunning craftiness, by which they lie in wait to deceive. But Paul has a, a a lot he has a mouthful here so he doesn't even put a period here he just keeps going he's going man this is this is passionate in my my heart this is what i want to articulate because here's the thing the people need to be equipped so that they can go and fulfill the ministry to do to equip them to go out and work the ministry to do the ministry but that we wouldn't be tossed to and fro, the congregation wouldn't be tossed to and fro like children by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness by which they lie and wait to deceive you. But speaking the truth in love, in love, not an argument, but in love. That they may grow up in all things into Him who is the head was Christ, he says, that you grow up in Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, it causes growth for the body of the, for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, Paul says, therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer, he's talking to you, he's talking to me, he's talking to the congregation right now, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. You don't walk in the futility that they walk in, the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart. Who, being past feeling, they've given themselves over to licentiousness the same thing he's saying in Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 14. They've given themselves over to licentiousness. The word licentiousness is a word which is an interesting word. Licentiousness, if you just kind of look at just the breakdown of the word, it's license. You give yourself license to indulge in every activity that brings you pleasure. You have full, pleasurable license to do anything you want to do. I said earlier that that some Greek words, they lend a support to understand where we get terms from in our own language. The Greek word for licentiousness is koite. Koite. It's where we get our word koitis from, which is sexual intercourse. But the understanding here is that you have licensure, you've given yourself licensure to, to indulge in every kind of aspect you want sexually. Anything that brings you pleasure, and it's not just sexual pleasure, it's every kind of pleasure. Anything that brings you pleasure. He's saying, here's the thing, They've get their past feeling, having given themselves over to licentiousness, they've given themselves a license to do whatever they want to work all things, all uncleanness with greediness. But, Paul goes on, he says, you've not so learned in Christ, if indeed you have heard Him, if indeed you have been taught by Christ, if the truth is in Jesus, or as the truth is in Jesus, if you know Christ, if you are in Christ, that you, put off, put off, that word put off, is now, the antithesis, the antonym for put on. Clothe yourself. It's take the old garment off, put the new garment on. He's saying that you put off concerning your former conduct. You, you rid yourself of who you used to be. You take the cloak off of your licentiousness or you take your cloak off of your indulgences. You take your cloak off of your living for you and for self. You take your cloak off That is something that the world accepts but will not be accepted in heaven. That's who you used to be. That's your former conduct. You put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And then he gives a contrast and he gives what we are to do. He says, and then be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man and the man the word man there is not about men in general that's that's men as in you know the stereotype of or the uh, the uh, generic sense of mankind of women and men that you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness therefore put away lying each one speak truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another and then he goes on and he talks much more, and I don't have time to get into that. But here's the thing. He's saying, take off who you used to be. You used to be owned by Satan, but now you've been purchased by Christ. And now I'm begging you by the mercies of God that you have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Because God has set out some to be pastors, some to be people, uh, uh, preachers, teachers, some to be evangelists, some to be prophets, some to be apostles. They're there to educate you and to equip you for the working of the ministry, to go and edify the body of believers, to do, to, to fulfill you, to, to fill you up, to equip you with the Word of God so that you're not like bumps on the log not knowing what the Word of God says. I, to me, gr- it grieves me than when my wife and I were having that conversation just two days ago. I'm thinking this guy has spent his whole life in church and he doesn't know anything. And I'm not naive as to think that there might be some in this room that just don't know. You don't want to know. You're here because you want to just be here in church because it makes you feel good. But church isn't here to just make us feel good. We're here to equip. We're here to grow. We're here to grow. We're here to mature. We're here to... To equip one another so that we can minister in unity, in what the Word of God calls us to do, you see. He says, "Put on that man. That's the man you want to put on." Paul says, "And how do you do that?" Let's move back to Romans chapter uh, eight and or thirteen, excuse me, and we'll finish up. He says, "Because that's who God's going to use. That's who God's going to use. That's that's who God desires." To minister to and through. It's those who are putting on the new man. Who are putting on this new life. Because God has given you the opportunity to not be who you used to be. Excuse me. To not be who you used to be. But to now be the man or the woman that he has called you to be. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, he says in verse 14. And make no provision to the flesh. To fulfill in its lust. Because you know what? The things that you do for flesh, the things that you do for for lust, those are things that are gonna just they're gonna fade away. They're not they're not substantive that are going to give you anything in heaven. They're not going to edify you, they're not going to grow you, they're not going to mature you, they're gonna just take and 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 decay you. They're going to take away from the man or the woman that he's called you to be. And so I'm just gonna continue to walk up. He says, Let's walk therefore. In verse 13, I'm I'm backing up in these verses. Let's walk properly, as in the day. Not in revelry or drunkenness, and not in licentiousness, or having a license to fulfill all your, your pleasurable desires. Not in lewdness, not in strife, and not in envy. Because in verse 12, it says, For the night is far spent, and the day is at hand. Paul he has this urgencies that he's laying out there he's saying guys it's it's at our doors right now it's at the doors right now Jeremiah the prophet he talked about it Jeremiah talked about in, in Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 20 you can jot the note down don't have time to look it up but Jeremiah he was talking to the Jews that weren't wanting to listen to him they He was coming out with messages week after week after week to prompt them to repent before the Lord, to come before God and make God their God and to to submit to His ways and to submit to His will. And nobody ever listened to Jeremiah. And it caused Jeremiah to become and and be understood and be known as the weeping prophet because that's all he did. He actually wrote a whole book called Lamentations. (laughs) He just is crying through the whole book. Nobody's listening. We're living in a day and an age where people's ears are becoming hard. People's ears are becoming much more deaf to Christ. Don't let that be said of you. Don't let that be said of you or your kids or your family or those that are close to you. Don't ever tire. Don't ever get weary in doing good. Don't ever get weary in following Christ. Because here's the thing, guys. Nothing else matters. Jeremiah, as he was crying out to the people, there towards the end, he's just going, he kind of threw up his hands. He said, listen, the harvest is past. The summer has ended and we are not saved. One of the most depressing verses in the Bible. But you know what? That's the day that we're living in right now, guys. Our loved ones, our loved ones, are rejecting Christ. They're rejecting Christ. Hand over fist right now. Because the world considers Christ to be outdated. Our society wants to reject Christ. But let that not be said of you. Don't let that be said of you. Don't let that be of you. Don't Don't get sucked into the society of what society is saying. It's easy to be entrapped by what society is trying to get us to embrace. And it's filtering into the church. And the next thing you know is it's filtering into the church. Pastors begin to preach errancy, not inerrancy. They begin to preach errancy from from the pulpits. They begin to preach blasphemy from the pulpits, and people come in, and with a glassy-eyed look on their eyes, because they're thinking they're in church, they receive what the pastor says, and they go out, and that formulates in their mind, in their heart, this spiritual warehouse, this spiritual fabric of their mind, that that's that's how they'll make decisions from this day forward, because that's what the pastor said. It's the reason James says, let not many of you become teachers lest you incur a stricter judgment because people are listening to what you're saying and people are fashioning their lives after what you say because you are understood and seen as a spokesman from God. And if you're speaking something that is not of God and they make it the spiritual warehouse of their life, they're going to then go out from here and make decisions that are not of me but are of the world because you, pastor, have no backbone. And you're afraid of your congregation. You're afraid of what the society will say to you and think that you're outdated and you're not in it, you know. You're not with the people. You're not, you're not you know, modern day, man. You're not cutting edge. Who cares about cutting edge? I want Jesus Christ. And I want you to, I want you to know Christ. Because as Paul says, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. We're living in those days. He says in verse 11, I'm backing up and I'm almost done. And do this, knowing that the time, doing, and do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. You ever think about that? I know there are pastors out there right now that are jumping on the bandwagon that say, hey, I think the rapture is going to be happening around September 23rd. I'm not one of them. I don't know when the rapture is going to happen. And if the rapture does happen on the 23rd, it's not because of, you know, the Shemitah and, you know, the four blood moons and all that kind of thing. Here's the thing. We we were in here with a leadership meeting a few months ago and we had a guy pop in. He goes, oh, a church. And he came in and he was all fired up on the blood moons and Shemitah. And I'm thinking, Shemitah, what's Shemitah? And I went and did some study. And I'm going, okay, it's interesting stuff. I'm not saying that it's it's you know, completely hogwash or anything, but, but Christ hasn't called us to, to run after those things. He's called us to run after Him. My life should be the same today as if the rapture were to happen. If I were to tell you the rapture is going to happen at 11.45 today, you've got 11 minutes to make yourself right with the Lord. Are you ready? The point is, live in such a way that in, if in 11 minutes... You'll be ready. Or if it doesn't come until September 23rd, you're ready. Or if it doesn't come for another 50 years, you're ready. Or if you live out your last days of your life and you die of old age on this earth, you're ready. The object is, be ready. Be ready. Be ready. He says, the time is now and it is high time to awake out of sleep. What grieves me about that is that Paul's writing this 2,000 years ago and the church was already fallen asleep. How far asleep have we fallen since this time? How apropos is this passage for today? And all that he's saying here in the the, the verses up to this Oh no one anything verse 8 except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, not steal, not bear false witness, not covet. And if there's any other commandments, Paul says, they're all summed up in this one saying, and it's namely this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Saying right now, you and I are to be living for love. we're to be living for love we're to be living in love we're to be living in the love that God has given to us we're not out there to to beat people down we're out there to show people the love of Christ the passion and the love that God had for them in that while they were still sinners Christ came and died for he did the same thing to us didn't he? God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 says, right? His love for us. He died. He sacrificed. Here's the thing. He's saying, put on Jesus Christ. He did it. Love people by sacrificing and showing them the way. Jesus never compromised his walk. Is that a pretty safe assessment? Jesus didn't sin, right? But where did Jesus find himself numbered amongst many of the time? Amongst the common person, amongst the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the people that are on an everyday street corner, those are the people that Jesus, were hanging out with, Jesus was hanging out with a lot. And they weren't pushing him out, they were actually following him. Not because he was going, you're, 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 ba, 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 No, he loved him. The Bible says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Let's show the love and the kindness of Christ. It doesn't mean that we compromise and doesn't mean that we accept sin. Well, it's okay if you're sinning, that's okay. God's going to be fine with it. No, no, God's not fine with sin. Jesus didn't condone the woman caught in the act of adultery. He says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. What you did was a sin, but go and sin no more. Amen? Here's the thing, guys. Love. We're in desperate days right now in front of us. Right now. Are you ready to be used? If you've been here at this church, I've done my best to equip you for the work of the ministry. Let's do the work of the ministry together. Amen. Let's go in and let's minister to people. Let's talk to people. Let's minister. Let's share the love of Christ. Let's share with them heaven and hell. Let's talk to them about the reality of life. You know more than a vast number of churches and congregations in this nation. Because you're listening. Hopefully and prayerfully you're listening. We're listening and we're being equipped because we're getting into the word of God. It has nothing to do with, oh, look how wonderful I am. It is not about that. I'm an idiot that was saved by grace, just like you. And I'm just trying to be passionate about what the Word of God says. Let's stick to what the Word of God says and do what it is that He's called us to do. In so doing, man, at the end of our days, we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I, that's, I long to hear that out of Jesus' mouth. Whoa. For, uh, I kicked the base down here Um, out of Jesus' mouth for every one of us Amen Father thank you so much for today and thank you Lord that you show us that there's a contrast of the life that this world has to offer and the, the life that you have to offer it's easy to see it's easy to acknowledge but Lord we will be honest and truthful and say it's Though it's easy to, to acknowledge and see, it's, it's much harder to actually live out because our flesh keeps jumping up in the way. Our flesh. It's a battle that we'll have until you come back for us. The Lord, help us in the power of your Holy Spirit to win the battles that the flesh so often wins. Help us to win more battles than lose, than we lose. Help us, Lord, to win the battles in you that we make no provision for the flesh, but that we put on Jesus Christ and that we live according to the life that you want us to live. The metaphor of saying, I'm taking off who I used to be and I'm putting on Jesus Christ and I'm going to walk now in him, for him, for you, Lord. It's important. You've handpicked every single person in this room to be at this place, at this time, at this moment. And the challenge that you've set forth for us today is to not sit back and wait for somebody else to, to open their mouth or to do something. But Lord, now with the equipping that you've given to me, Lord, use me. Use me. However. And I might be afraid. and I might be frightened. I might be afraid. I might I might feel that I don't know enough. But Lord, help me to overcome whatever fear I have. And help me to use what it is that I do have. Help me to do what it is that you've called me to do. Regardless of what others might think. Regardless of what others might say. Because I am now from this day forward living for the audience of one. And that's for you. I'm going to live for you. So whatever you've given to me, Lord, I'm going to live for. I want to incorporate in my life. To be used by you and for you. I want to put on Jesus Christ today. And I want to give you provision to do anything you want to do in my life. That's my prayer, Lord. That's our prayer. Do this work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit, O oh Lord, and forgive us, Lord, for the life that we've held on to so tightly and cherish so much. Help us to sacrifice it and give it to you. Now you do with us, as you will, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.